Welcome to 51 First Dates. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. And we are doing an experiment. And talking about dating. And love. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Cheers. Cheers. Hi, everybody. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. And welcome to 51 First <laughs> Fork day. Four states. 51 first dates. You'd think like whatever many episodes in in the 200 range by now, right, Liza? Uh, I would know how to say that, but I we're at, I think we're at 175 today. Okay. We'll okay. have to do a 200th extravaganza in 25 weeks. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't matter because you know why? Nothing matters. <laughs> I love that vibe. You know what? It's February. <laughs> a very nihilistic place. The, this, the sun fully hasn't come out on the East Coast in like three days. Um, it's two degrees and everything seems sad. <laughs> yep. Everything seems sad. February's here. Um, always a struggle in, in, you know, coming up on the one year of when the pandemic really set in here in the U.S., I feel February will be more of a struggle than ever. And uh, yes, Liza, I've seen the photos of all the snow on the internet. <laughs> it's crazy. And it's, it's a lot. The snow is kind of nice. It's like the snow is the thing that makes this vibe worth it because it's like pretty and I don't have to go anywhere and I don't have to travel anywhere and it's nice and like scenic and wintry. But it's literally been like days since we've seen the sun and it's been in like single digits temperature. <laughs> So I'm just, I mean, you can see me. I'm in like, I have in my own apartment, I have like a huge hoodie on and a beanie because it's just freezing. Um, But you know, there's bigger problems in the world and I should complain less. I mean, you know what? We're here. We're here to complain. We're here to not be too toxically positive, you know, but also make you feel better about dating. So you know what? We complain about the weather just so that, you know, <laughs> we can all Yeah, whine. the weather's evergreen <laughs> content. We can all agree that it's bad to not see the sun. Yeah, welcome um, to a podcast as boring as many first dates are. We're talking about the weather. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. We are fun. Liza, I didn't mean to call us boring. We're a goddamn riot. We JK. are. No. And today we're joined. Um, by a very special guest, um, Keely Rankin, who is just an amazing sex and relationship coach. She's a therapist. She is an incredible human that we got to talk to and really dug in and asked her all sorts of questions. She specializes in male sexuality. Um, we talked about, you know, different anxieties around sex for women, for men. You know, we also talked about you know, different relationship questions some of you have submitted around kind of one one question I thought was particularly interesting was thinking about the line between when a relationship or pattern in a relationship is toxic versus when it's, you know, something that you're just challenged by. So am I, you know, not feeling great about this dynamic in my relationship or date situation because it's actually toxic or it's just, you know, something I shy away from. I thought that was really cool. And yeah, she just, I mean, I wanted to have her be my new therapist by the end of our conversation. So yes, a hundred percent. And also just like calm vibes, which I appreciate anytime I talk to anyone and I'm like, you seem calm. Can you teach me? I know. Um, just... Incredible. Yeah. So you will check that out shortly. Um, but First, we're going to do a little consumption corner. We're going to do a couple updates. We're going to do, well, maybe we'll do our business first, then we'll do our consumption. Yeah, I think so. We have some very exciting business this week. The most important that we finally did what we said we were going to do and drew one of you to win the vibe of your life. We've selected a winner. Well, we have not selected, Liza. You, You must explain. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I drew, I did, I literally did this. I would post pictures, except I just threw all these things away because I was very worried about any unfairness. I wrote everybody in a spreadsheet. I put all the numbers into an actual hat and I picked a number. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I guess I could just look at the spreadsheet and pick one, but I want it to be extremely fair. Um, And uh, we chose our lovely listener, Christina. And it's extra exciting because I swear this did not there is no shenanigans. There is no election tampering. But she is a um, frontline worker. I don't have I don't want to like share her whole per, all, too many of her personal details because we don't have her permission. But um, it just makes me extra happy that this is someone who is um, out there fighting COVID. And now she can have a 
uh, tool to like help her relax. Fuck yeah. Uh, That's great. <laughs> and thank you to every single one of you who wrote a review and submitted. We know we incentivized it with this vibrator, but seriously, the reviews were so kind. They mean a lot. If you tagged us in your Instagram story, it all means so much. Um, we are just so We appreciate grateful. it yeah. so much. Yeah. And your kind words mean the world to us. And we wish we could give every single person a fancy vibrator. But we're going to be doing more giveaways throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so keep an ear out for those. And we super, super appreciate all of you. And also, Christina was kind enough to share a worst first date in her email. Um, so we'll read that in a little bit. Right? Should we do it now? Or do you want to do We should finish business first. We'll finish business. Yeah. Another exciting business that I am being a little like monster about, I think, you know, I was like, Liza, let's start a newsletter. Let's start a dating community. But I feel genuinely excited because we asked you all kind of what you were interested in having more of and newsletters came up, um, TikTok came up. TikTok is too scary for us because we're old. And so instead, we have gone the newsletter route. So if you're a Patreon supporter, do not fear. That is there. Patreon exists. That's where our bonus Bachelor episodes are. Thank you for supporting us there. We have extra content there. We're just, you know... I, I say this on our, our new little newsletter, but Patreon, I don't think we've mastered. I don't know why, but we haven't quite mastered building out the Patreon community. And we also know that, you know, not everybody's down to kind of drop a lot of extra dollars right now. So uh, we would love to invite you to come to our free newsletter. Subscribe to it. It's called Precious Gems. It is being announced on our social today. I'm acting like it's such a fancy announcement. The new launch with all the funding, JK. But basically, you'll get a warm hug of a newsletter um, dropped to your inbox every Monday. So the day before our episodes come out, uh, you're hearing this on a Tuesday. Like the initial intro email is going out today, but the first real ass newsletter will go out next Monday, February 8th. So sign up, subscribe, preciousgems.substack.com or go on our social. It's hard to say Substack. Wow. Um, it's, it's, we'll always keep the newsletter part free. Maybe we'll add paid tiers later. Tell your friends. We'll definitely do like an ambassador program and maybe have more vibrator giveaways. Like if you get more people interested, but we really wanted to create a community where we can share in like written bloggy diary style posts, answers to your questions that you write in, some of our thoughts and feelings on topics that kind of don't fit into these episodes. Um, sorry, Liza, I'm just rambling on. You can Not like at all. You've got the vis. I've got the vis. You can like, you can comment. Like it's also just really fun. I feel like energized to that we're gonna just write something each week. It'll it'll, it'll build out the community. Um, you can comment. We'll hopefully have virtual events set up pen pals all of these things all you have to do is subscribe and then also tell us for sure tell us what you want but this is kind of separate from the podcast we'll we'll totally shout out the podcast but we want to maybe there's like a little like ask for advice situation old school you know sharing recommendations each week we're going to be doing you know, different from Consumption Corner that we do here, but some other wrecks. And I just feel excited. I don't know why I'm in this weird, like, start new projects mode. So that's my spiel. We would love to have you. For sure. And it'll be fun. It'll be also, you know, we talk about, we feel some level of needing to keep ourselves together on the podcast because it's <laughs> out in the world. And obviously this will be out in the world too. But, you know, I think we'll be able to share more like personal stuff on on the newsletter and it'll be a little bit more like diary entries from us as well as like related to hopefully stuff you're interested in, i.e. dating, being a human, feelings, and um, et cetera. So, so yeah, for sure. Check it out. And is that all of our business? I think it is. Um, Thank you for all of your, you know, joining. The secret Facebook group lives on. Everything lives on. We just thought this would be a nice new kind of way to keep in touch with everybody. Yeah. For sure. Um, And what are we doing now? Oh, we're going to do Consumption Corner. Mm -hmm. And then we'll have Worst First Date Time. Um, Kimmy, what are you, what are you consuming? Oh, wow. I feel like I've just been talking your ear off, Liza, but I'll go. I think I consumed a lot this week, so I'm just going to kind of rattle them off. I didn't prepare. Great. Dog ate my homework. Uh, okay. 
I've been on a movie kick, I will say. So I had purchased a ticket to a virtual screening of a Sundance film. So this is a little tricky in terms of recommendation. But um, I saw Gerard Carmichael's directorial debut on The Count of Three. And Christopher Abbott, um, he's on Girls. He was Marnie's boyfriend. You Like, Eliza, I think you know. Yeah, but yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. For totally. other people, he's in it. And it, he was so good in it that I now want to have a Christopher Abbott journey. I feel like he's one of the better actors that we have. And I just want to watch more. So that's... God, he just showed up in something recently. In like a TV show or something I was watching recently. And I was like, this guy's a good actor. What else has he been doing right, like in the last year or two? I saw him in something recently too. And I feel like I'm losing my mind. Because obviously during this movie, I was like, what did we just see him in? He's so good. I'll Google it. Yeah. While you're doing, while you're continuing your consumption. So, so that like my mind can be But I, I would just ease. say, Google him. You'll recognize his face. He's been in a lot of indie movies. I just think like his performance in this movie that's, you know, about... A suicide pack. The tone was really interesting. It's, you know, I say this all not to be like, I saw a movie that you can't see, but like, I'm going to go on a Christopher Abbott journey. Maybe I'll write about it in the Substack. So if anyone wants to join me for that, um, we can we can start a Christopher Abbott movie club. But I also, oh my god, Kimmy, what your is jaw it? is going to drop. I'm so sorry to interrupt. No, please. your jaw is going to drop. Just when we're talking about Christopher Abbott, your jaw is going to drop when I. It's not. That's a lie. You're just gonna like facepalm because I just did mentally when I tell you what we both saw him in. It was the trailer for that movie Black Bear that you sent to me. Oh, duh. That's That's what we both recently were like, oh my God, what happened to that guy? He's so good. Okay. Oh my gosh, yes. And I figured this out and I forgot again, but it's because neither of us have seen Black Bear yet, but we should. It's the Aubrey Plaza movie that came out in 2020. Um, Okay, okay. This isn't a movie podcast. I also watched a 2020 release the um emma that came out in 2020 oh i've heard it was awesome what did you think i thought it was awesome i have not read emma the jane austen novel so i felt very you know my judgment might not be as i just thought it's with enya taylor joy who's in queen's gambit who's great bill nye is her dad and he's just delightful and I like the story. I knew I knew kind of vaguely what the story of Emma was. I thought the colors, the fu- it was like if you were watching Bridgerton and you finished it and you want a period piece, like I would highly recommend less sexiness for sure. But uh, watching this Emma that came out last year and I think it was on Netflix or somewhere where it was free. So check that out. And then what else? Oh, Liza, I finally watched my octopus teacher just last night actually. Oh, what did you think? Oh, my God. I'm never eating octopuses again. <laughs> like, oh, my God. I also couldn't stop thinking about the shape of water at moments, but that's just me being, like, a little bit annoying. It was – no. <laughs> Everyone I've talked to about it has been like, was it oddly, like, sensual? And I'm like, yes, it yes. absolutely was. <laughs> There's no doubt. Like, it wasn't creepy. They are just, like – it just felt a little bit sensual. Yeah. Not sexual. Like, sensual. Yeah. And but I again on Netflix, Liza recommended it years ago. But I wanted to shout it out. And another movie I watched. It's one of my all time favorite movies and rom coms. And I am specifically Liza knows that I watch this. Actually, not to brag, but LA's temperature isn't bad. We have like an old TV that we pulled outside and just like haven't were able to hook up Apple TV to watch a movie on it. It was pretty fun. It was delightful outdoor viewing in this pandemic. Uh, but I watched Obvious Child. And I'm recommending this, even though I've probably talked about it before, uh, because I also have had this reminder that on a very dark Valentine's Day, I guess before we started this podcast, my roommate had plans. I was convinced the person I was seeing was lying to me about being out of town. It was actually in town because I had seen on the dating app Happen. I don't know if you guys remember Happen, where it showed you location that he was still in town and... I I can't really talk about it without wanting to die and crawl into my shell like, you know, well, the shell that the octopi don't have. I I don't think it's octopi (laughs) either, but I just want to say that. Um, But okay, all of this, I'm getting red. But that Valentine's Day, I just like sobbed in bed and rewatched Obvious Child, which does have some some Valentine's Day in it, but isn't (laughs) not in the way you think. And it's just a delightful rom-com. So if you're like looking for something for – you know, Valentine's Day. Not that we have to get into that yet. It's still early February. I'm just going to throw that out there because I fucking love that movie and it's delightful. 
Yeah, it's such a great like rom-com that's not a rom-com but that is. I don't know. It's like mm-hmm. it there's it, it doesn't have a lot of not a lot of movies have that tone where it's like it is a rom-com but it is not toxically positive <laughs> or like you know what I mean or yeah. like overly Ugh, whatever. But um, ugh, such a good movie. You you crushed a lot of movies this week. I did. It's weird. I'm usually a TV girl, but hey, I know. I'm actually did the same thing because I'm running out of TV. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Liza, what have you been consuming? Okay, so I'm gonna start with the non-controversial, and then we'll go to the controversial. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I watched um. On the Rocks, Sofia Coppola's movie with yes. Bill Murray and um, Rashida Jones. I thought it was okay. I agree. I, I watched it on election night, so I was I was wondering if it was just because I was so depressed. Yeah. You know, but I was expecting more, quite frankly. Yeah, it wasn't like bad. It just wasn't much of anything. And I don't know. Um, I think, yeah, not the most feelings about it, but um, – I've been in this, like, kick of just wanting to watch, like, New York content. Did mm-hmm. I already talk about How To with John Wilson? Yes. On this? You, okay. No, 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 you haven't. I have. Okay, okay, okay. Remember? Oh, 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 yes, yes, Multiple yes, 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 And then okay. I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> it's John Wilson. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Well, it's his name is John Wilson, yeah. to be fair. I watched, I finished How To with John Wilson, which, like, oh, my God. Like, like just the combo of, like, 40-year-old version Pretend It's a City and How To with John Wilson just had me so fired up about like making I just want to make a movie in New York so badly mm-hmm. and I was like I'm gonna watch On the Rocks next and it was like oh you know like yeah, the the, the um the vibe kind of ended there however How To with John Wilson on HBO Max is so good speaking of HBO Max um all of Anthony Bourdain's show No Reservations is on HBO Max and I've been watching through some of those and I also started listening to the audiobook of Kitchen Confidential, which I've never read before. Ugh. It's so good. If you're running low, I'm really running low on podcasts. Like, I just have not been able to find one I've been able to hook into. And so I was kind of cruising through Audible and I was like, oh, well, I have Audible credits. I'm going to get this. It's so good. I've been like wanting to take walks so that I can listen to it. Like, it's just, it's really well read. And he's such a fucking nutcase. Like, if you don't like him, I get it. Like, he does have sometimes kind of problematic undertones. But um, I I really love Anthony Bourdain and I'm continuing to be very saddened that he uh, is not with us any longer. But I really, really love both of those pieces of content this week. That book is so good. And sorry to interrupt you. Uh, I was wondering why Tony has been watching it. It must be because it's on HBO Max. And we watched one that I had never seen about Lisbon I think yeah that's no reservations yeah and I had gone when I was in Lisbon I went to like the seafood restaurant because it's like you know everyone was like Bourdain went here it's low frill low frills but you wait and the seafood's so good so it was just fun to like see it I don't know it made me like nostalgic for like travel you know it made me sad about Anthony Bourdain it's just like that show is a true comfort for for me yes It's so great. And it's so I think he does something really powerful in his like ability to just connect with everyone he meets and be really like warm and goofy and and comforting. And he he's, you know, eating home cooked dinners in like these really, really remote areas with, um, you know, like food that's like pretty humble that he loves. And he's going it's just I just love everything about what he does. Um, And it's making me want I've been like cooking more and like wanting to eat like better and more interesting foods because of it and I just it makes me yeah it makes me feel like I can travel when we can't travel the other thing I'm watching is so trashy and it's bling empire are you watching I'm not but I've gotten so many people who are like oh my god are you watching and then I'm like oh my god no is it good and then they're like sort of (laughs) so that's my it's like selling sunset I feel like bling empire and selling sunset exist in the same universe where you're like this is garbage and I can't stop and I can't get enough and it's so beautiful it's so glossy it's definitely scripted like everything is planned by the producers the people are insane it's just like it's like wealth porn and it's like so another world and it's so ridiculous but like I'm I'm like really really liking it and Jeff love is loving it which Ooh. is the most it's so surprising but I was like watching it one night and he was like it just sucked he just sat down and was like we're watching this together now so I'm inspired those are my watches I'm inspired because it sounds like like from you and others they definitely have like real money and the housewives of Salt Lake City took like a way left turn it's not as good as it once was and mm. they don't seem to have enough money to like 
all me. I know all these women are very rich, but like I want to see this kind of stupid money. So you've inspired me. That's all. Sorry. I don't know why. Like it's definitely such hot garbage, but it's just that's the type of hot garbage that's like a bomb to my soul mm-hmm. right now. Um, And then I, we don't have to discuss this, but we haven't talked about Promising Young Woman yet. Is that like a road we want to go down on the podcast? Oh, my God. Or next well, week or another time? I think we might have to do a bonus because a lot of people have not been able to see it. Liza, I can't believe we haven't talked about it yet. And I understand it's 1999 and I've been on a crusade about this. Liza, you said it as well. And it's it's because of what happened this year with the pandemic. And so if it's in your budget... Think about it. I understand it sucks if you're a one person renting it at home, quarantined alone. But if you can see it, God, I haven't, I don't know. What What can we say, Liza, without spoiling? Well, here's a thing that is probably going to shock you. I didn't love it. <gasps> yeah, yeah, I know. I know. It feels like sacrilege. But I think partially, okay, here's the thing. I'm being a little dramatic. I really liked it. Yeah. And I also think it's I got it got a little overhyped for me. I, I know I have a friend who saw it at Sundance last year and has been talking about it like since then. Mm-hmm. So I think that it may be my bad. I do think everyone should see it. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't think anyone should not if, see it. If it was like something about the end that you wished had gone a different way or if it was broad. No, the end was my favorite part. OK, good. I I, I yeah. feel not good. I a lot of people feel differently, but I feel like the end it was it was important that the end happened the way it did. I think it had to happen yeah. that way. A hundred percent. In fact, I was like, if it doesn't, it, yep. towards the end, I was like, if it doesn't end this way, I'm going to be pissed. Yep. Like, but I, I have, well, we'll, maybe we'll give people another couple of weeks to potentially watch it. Yeah. It'll probably um, go to a streamer. Uh, I don't actually know what I'm talking about on that front. But I, I, yeah, it, it's just so nice to see a fucking movie that makes you think and like puts you, for me, my experience was very much like, oh, I have some problematic thinking, even just in my reaction to what's happening at each phase of this movie. And that's really interesting because... Totally. Would like to think I'm a woman who has the right takes on, you know, rape. But anyway. Yes. It is very... Like, I think my problems with it were, like, pretentious. My pretensions of, like... like, I think the... The things that were amazing about it were like, fucking, we need more women to be writing and directing movies about women. Because, like, the fact that th- there's 85 million versions of this movie about a male protagonist, not like the same themes or whatever, mm-hmm. but this is like groundbreaking, is in and of itself kind of disappointing. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, they're like really terrible and lazy comparisons to the Joker. I don't, I think it's because she wears one costume. Um, it's, nothing like the joker or joker sorry the last version of the one the most recent one in my opinion i think that's like a lazy it's misses the point but there should be like many more versions of this if we have so many versions of even that one story you know with like with like female protagonists who are um really like active and powerful and motivated and like fucked up and like like all this I was just like why don't we have more of this I want it and the casting was pretty great like there's really specific casting of men you will recognize from shows you love and it's yes perfect I think brilliant yeah uh, yeah there were so many good things about it truly I really liked it like everyone to see it I feel like I did I I I am worried I misrepresented how I felt about it no 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 I just like also you know I feel like it's not like it was so different and I know there weren't a ton of movies out this year and I haven't seen them all because they're not all out yet but like it was the most powerful thing I've seen and it's just not in all the top 10 lists the way I think it should be if fucking first cow is going to be I'm sorry it's like a beautiful movie but it's slow and I'm so tired of men (laughs) sorry Sorry. no the last like I've been on a like journey about just watching movies that are like written and directed by women and not for some political reason only because I am I love movies and I'm so fucking tired of all these goddamn masculine movies but honestly maybe I'll make like a master list of that for the Substack or something yeah. just like these are all the movies either written by or directed by preferably both women that I loved this year and the last couple of years mm-hmm. it's just like Okay, well, I'm sober, but that was still a little bit of drunk feminism for everybody no. today. I will shout out that Obvious Child is 
woman driven. So, yes. And um, Jillian Robespierre, I think, just directed her first. I think she's directing her first feature soon. She or the writer of. I'm going to I'm going to research this. And come back. I think okay. the writer of Obvious Child is directing her first movie soon, which is fun. Um, anyway, dating. <laughs> dating. Right. We're so sorry. But, you know, it is a pandemic. So we're trying to give you, you know, things that are safe to do and dating advice as well. OK, Liza, are we going to do our worst? Should first? we do our worst first? Yes. OK. Here we go. Here we go. Pulling it up. Okay, so again, this comes from Christina, the winner of our Lilo giveaway raffle. I'm going to just keep calling it a raffle, which I know is uncool, like, because I think yeah. it's fun. Okay. Fuck yeah. It's a giveaway. I'm a, I'm a millennial. Uh, okay, here it is. So um, she writes, my worst first date during COVID was with this guy from the app, so I had matched with on several apps over the years, uh, over the course of a year. Something always came up, and it was so slow fade each time, and we never met up. We matched one more time on the app in the fall of COVID and election season. Decided to meet up for a walk and coffee, but then it ended up storming all day. We both figured if we didn't keep the date, it wouldn't ever happen, and it had been so drawn out, so we decided to put on rain gear and stick to the plan. It was pouring, all caps. The guy didn't bring an umbrella, so I was sharing mine. He offered to hold it, but was hardly blocking any of the rain. We walked around for 40 minutes, got soaking wet. I had to lead the whole conversation, didn't pass the Roskett test. And then towards the end, he told me he, all caps, didn't even vote because he didn't like either Biden or Trump. Oh, my Lord. Sorry. I, Gross. Like, truly, I I am more understanding of Trump voters, uh, like especially with all this conspiracy shit people get sucked down, than people who did not vote this year. I'm yes. sorry. I, 2020, you didn't vote. God. Sorry. Like, how? <laughs> horrified. How? What? How do you not? Yeah. It was my whole issue with so many influencers who didn't want to give their opinion this year. It's like, fuck you all. It's a yes. coup. There's an insurrection. Yes. Like, oh yes. my God. You don't want to lose any followers because you're a little fucking bitch. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's whatever. Okay. It was all uh, framed as like, you know, it's just like, why Why do we feel like we need to share that? Do we need everyone to agree with us? Like people had these diatribes about it and I was like, fuck this shit. Just like, yeah, fuck this shit. Sorry. Yeah. Like we're not. Yes. It's 2020. Like, Democracy is hanging by a thread. Anyway, I'm sorry. I just had to. No. The the non-voting is Annette okay. Um, the... Um, but, but what was I going to say? Oh, but the thing that also just blew my mind is, can you imagine, like, think about sharing an umbrella no. with, like, your best friend or family member or partner. It still is horrible. Sharing an umbrella, I really would rather walk without an umbrella than share an umbrella. Sharing an umbrella for a stranger for 40 minutes when you're on a date. Hell. It's like the fucking, it, that is fully from a movie, speaking of all these movies. Like, yes hilarious and it fully he didn't bring a fucking umbrella oh yeah i mean i hate umbrellas when i'm walking alone i just like there's such a hassle and i always leave them behind so what's the point i'll get a little wet i'll run a little bit faster from this to that place anyway i also am like well didn't sharing the umbrella kind of defeat the purpose of needing to walk on the dating like it was still safer but like oh you have to get pretty close oh and of course like she had to like offer you know like that's the thing if i showed up on social media i'd like offer and hope the guy would just say no and then but imagine having just like that horrible first date where he's not asking any questions and you have to do all the work but also you're under a shared umbrella like horrible but like comical but horrible i don't like him i don't like him one bit yeah Oh, God. I can't. I'm so sorry. You deserve so much better. And that is just, it just, it just is a 2020 slash 21 fitting worst first. I'm sorry. 100%. Oi. Oi. Well, on that fun note, we are going to take a quick, quick ad break. And then we're going to be back with our interview with Keely Rankin. All right. We are so excited to be joined by Keely. Thank you so much for being here. We've already given your big spiel, but we're so excited to talk to you today. Yay. I'm so excited to be here too. We are thrilled to have you. We're going to talk about all kinds of, all kinds of things. We're going to talk about premature ejaculation, orgasms, sex, relationships, all the stuff. But first, as always, we have to ask you, do you have a worst first date story? 
You know, it's so interesting. I was thinking about this idea of worst first date and I was like going through the list of my head because I dated for my whole 20s and half of my 30s. And um, I actually landed on not necessarily like the worst of all of the dates I ever went on, but almost like the most influential date that I went on. Um, I had just broken up with someone I'd been with for about two and a, year, two and a half years. And, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to try online dating. It was kind of when online dating was like relatively new. It wasn't the, like what everyone was, was doing it. So like 10 or so years ago. And I met this guy and he happened to be out of town. So we texted for like two weeks and just like spent so much time texting, like texting, 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 texting. And I finally met up with them and this, him in this really kind of like nice restaurant bar scenario. And within like five minutes, he was all over me, just like grabbing me, touching me, trying to kiss me. And I was like, whoa, like really fast. And, um, I just remember learning. It really feels like my, a lot of things were like before that date. And then after that date, like I really learned a lot about like, what is online dating? What is first online dates? Like what are expectations that people have? And really like, gosh, I just wasted so much time texting that person who ended up to be a really horrible fit for me. And so that's sort of like what I was thinking about this, like, what's like my worst date? And I was like, well, this was my most transformational bad date that I was very uncomfortable in. (laughs) So I mean, Mm. yeah, I feel like it's so interesting having a kind of a pivotal date, just like this attention that's not the right kind of attention at all and is not attuned or in tune with my my vibe on this date at all feel does feel very similar to like a lot of the guys I dated and texted in my 20s like they weren't listening to me just the way your date he wasn't listening to you it sounds like no (laughs) no and I had built this whole story up over two weeks about his pictures and how much attention I was getting and the story of him and then I got there and I was like wow like really need to like rein it in before the first experience and like almost I don't even think sometimes of online you know, first online dates as first dates. It's like first meetings. It's like, it's just a first meeting of a person. And then the first date is the next mm. date where you actually know you really like that person and you want to see them again <laughs> mm. versus all that pressure of like, I have no idea who you are. Do you even look like your picture? Which of course I have stories like that too. Um, so yeah, totally. it's also like the, the pressure of having good text chemistry with someone I've been in a situation like that, too, where it's like, oh, the texts are popping, like lots of texting or lots of like, you know, app chat or whatever. And then you're in person with them. And you're like, oh, this is a letdown. Like, I feel like it can it can be so easy to set a really high bar. And then when you get in person, you're like, oh, I was wrong. Totally. Or like in this situation where he assumed like, well, we're already there. We've been talking for weeks. I can mac on you like when it's Ugh. not the vibe. No, so not the vibe. And I got the impression that that's like what this person did, you know? Mm. I was like, oh, okay, I see where this is going. This is not, this is not my jam. Thank you. <laughs> totally understood. Uh, so kind of in the same vein, uh, we love to ask our cheesy question that we've also kind of previewed. Um, what is your relationship to relationships? And that could be, you know, historically, you kind of just explained kind of a before and after this date, but just generally how you've thought of relationships, you meet your career involves relationships. So it could be that too. Just whatever kind of how we, you would describe your relationship to relationships and sex too, if you want. Yeah. So if I think about my relationship to relationships, I, as a therapist, obviously go right back into my childhood. And I really think about my, my experience as a child and what I saw with my parents. And when I think about the modern relationship, I think of there being like three parts, like Western modern relationship. And there's commitment, emotional intimacy, and physical intimacy. And one of the things my parents modeled really, really super well was commitment. Like they're still together. They, you know, as far as I know, have been faithful. You know, they really lead this life to, of, of togetherness really well and making plans together. But one of the things they didn't model very well at all was the emotional intimacy, um, the sort of like the typical, like we didn't talk about our feelings in my house. Like we were definitely um, the type of family where you were valued for what you did, what you contributed, things like that versus like just the person that you were. And so as I started to get older in relationships, older, I guess I should say, as I was moving through elementary school and high school and dating is starting to happen, I started to really get curious about 
just the way people were interacting, the obsession with dating and, and, and boys and kissing and, you know, all of these different things. And I started to realize like, oh yeah, like there's some great things for my family, but definitely a lot of stuff that I'm missing. And I think I, I knew that really, really early on. And so as I went through school and got my undergraduate in psychology, did my master's in counseling psychology and always knew I wanted to work around sexuality. And for me, sexuality was sort of like this huge emphasis in relationships. Like it's kind of the, I mean, it's so multifaceted and, and I've learned so much more about it, but it really came from this deep interest of like, what is long-term romantic sexual compatibility? How does that look? I mean, I was just fascinated from such an, an early age. Um, and I feel like I'm, the, one of the things I also love about relationships is like, they're always changing. You're always changing. Your relationship with people is always changing. Friendships, lovers, um, and so I feel like there's just, I think it's one of the most important parts of being human is like, how do we do relationship and, and what are all the parts of that? So, and, the, and also our relationship with ourselves, which I think is also equally as important as the relationship we have with other people. So, yeah, it's so easily, you know, I feel like for so much, much of my life, I was told, you know, you need to love yourself before you can love anyone else. But it, it ends up being so true. You need to have a good relationship with yourself or at least be able to. I mean, I feel you're the therapist, Keely, correct me. But it, it feels like I needed to to really figure out my relationship with myself before I could get into a serious adult relationship. Um, yes, 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. I hate it. I hate it too. And I fought it for a really long time up until like my like you know, sort of early thirties of like, really, what does it mean to love yourself and accept yourself and be with yourself? And, um, yeah, I totally, I get you. It's like, oh gosh, it's so cliche. And what does that mean? But man, it really, it changes your whole outlook and your whole experience. So, yeah. And it's so funny because I feel like now at, um, 32, oh, getting closer to 33. Um, (laughs) I'm like, how it's, yeah. How old am I? Um, I feel like a lot of relationships that I saw go south in, you know, the last 10, 12 years of like being an adult and out in the world were relationships where I think people hadn't done that work up front. But when you're younger, it's just so easy to be like, but I want to be in a relationship and that's what I want. And like, it's good and it's great and blah, blah, blah. And like, now I feel like we're starting to see like the divorces and the things that are happening because of that. And it's, it's hard to see it until you're like, I think on the other side of it, but it's, it's very, it feels like it really happens a lot that people don't get cute with themselves before they fall into like very, very serious relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And like how do couples grow together? And yeah, it's such a, such an interesting, it's an interesting question. And, and as we evolve, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, I'm, that was just my whole rambling and um, not the most important, but what is important is tell us a little bit about like how you got into this work, how you started your career. I mean, I, I know you said that you um, studied in under, psychology undergrad and like had this interest in, in this type of work, um, but how did you um, start your, your like professional life? Yeah. So um, I, one of the things I also did growing up was ride horses competitively and professionally. And I really loved it. I was very passionate about it. And after I, I graduated from my undergrad, I, I moved back east to try and ride and do it as a, a full-time profession. And I realized, I was like, oh, I just, something wasn't quite right. Like I, I kind of fell out of my passion for the horses and realized that there, it's, I could just feel there was something else I was supposed to be doing with my life rather than, than this thing I was doing. And um, so sold all my horses, came home, spent a couple of years trying to figure out what I should do. And the only books I could stay awake to were books about sex. And I should say, I happen to be good at riding horses. And when you're good at riding horses and you take riding lessons, you end up being in riding lessons with older people. And they all talk about sex all the time because that's what most people are talking about all the time anyway, right? And so I happened to be one of those people in high school where like, you wanted to know about blowjobs or birth control or this or that. And I, and I happened to have the answers because all of my older friends had told me how to get blowjobs. And um, 
And so it kind of made sense. I was like, oh, you know, as I took these couple of years after I, I was changing careers, I was like, yeah, you know, I really love to talk about sex. I really love to have sex. I'm really curious about relationships. I want to do something I'm passionate about, but I was really cautious. I didn't think I wanted to work one-on-one with people. I, I, I think I really doubted my interpersonal skills just because I didn't really have that many growing up from um, my family and I rode horses. So there's a lot of nonverbal stuff going on there. <laughs> um, but I took a class in sexuality, this, this training um, in a master's program, and I just, I loved it. I fell in love with working with people individually. It felt so right. And so went back and got my master's just in regular counseling psychology, and then went and got a bunch of other like side trainings around sexuality. I, I always knew though, when I went back to do my master's program, I knew that for sure I was going to work in sexuality. Um, it, it it felt like I, there was just no other option for me. Like it just felt like that was what I was doing. That was my calling. That was my interest. And um, I feel very lucky that I, I truly love my work and I feel very grateful that I get to work with so many awesome clients. Actually, it's, it's really cool. And kind of to follow that, this is a big question. So no pressure to have like a perfect answer, but (laughs) I'm thinking about, you know, everyone has such a different relationship with sexuality and then how that, sexuality relates to their relationships. Sorry to keep doing the relationship to relationship thing. But you have so much wisdom. You've spent so much time working with people, studying sexuality. If you could just impart like one nugget or it could be like wipe away one myth around sexuality, is there anything that comes to mind that you wish just more of us got? Yeah, I think my, if I'm going to get on a soapbox about something around sexuality, it is like we all we have to, myself included, this isn't just like everyone else and not me. Like we have to get out of the, the parameters we've set for ourselves and, and stop thinking about sex in this really one dimensional way or this way where it's supposed to look a certain, like a certain thing and let it be about pleasure. Really, truly, like what does your body want how does your body want to engage with yourself, with this other person or people in front of you? And how do you respect and truly honor that? And I, you know, it's so funny. Um, it's not funny, actually. It's, I guess, more ironic. You know, people come in and they really want to have great sex. And I ask them what they enjoy or what feels good and what feels pleasurable. And they have no idea. And it's just like, yeah, of course, of course, you're not having great sex, you know, it's because there's no relationship to pleasure. And that goes in so many different directions. It's like, how are we in our lives relating to pleasure on a day to day moment to moment basis? And that isn't just this, like, don't ever feel your pain, you're never going to be uncomfortable. But I mean, that's an unrealistic expectation of humanity, but it's like when you're in the experience of choosing to move forward into an erotic experience, can pleasure really lead Mm -hmm. versus the ideas of where you think you're supposed to be like, oh, my stomach or, you know, all the body image issues that come up or so many men have issues or or feel so insecure about the size of their penises. You know, I've heard all of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's just sort of like, how do we all step away from that and stop shaming each other, stop blaming each other and just go with what actually feels good? Cause that's, that's what it's about. It's like, it's about getting to enjoy our bodies and other people's bodies and really having that pleasure. But I, yeah, so, and I could go in, on and on about that, but. <laughs> could I ask you to go on and on a little bit about, and we'll get into some of the insecurities <laughs> men have, especially around ejaculation, but. I think, you know, we do get a lot of questions around sex and, you know, body image issues. And of course, Mm -hmm. there's not probably advice you can give to everyone. But just if I were listening to this and thinking, you know, I am very, it's hard for me to like put pleasure first because my body image issues and Mm -hmm. my history with my body makes it really hard for me to be comfortable during sex. Do you have any, I guess, like tips on just where to start? like navigating that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a huge piece, really, truly. I mean, it's kind of why I stopped myself because I was like, okay. Um, you know, I guess that the piece for that person to sort of sort through within themselves is like, how much is this interrupting your experience during sex? Mm -hmm. Like, 
if you're spending, I'd say more than 50% of your time with a lover thinking about whatever insecurity it is, if it's um, smell or hair or size or weight, uh, any, you know, any of those pieces in which we can't, we can't really control, I guess hair, you, you sort of kind of can some people, but not always, you know, I, I would say that to find someone, find a specialist to work with, mm-hmm. because you're kind of, you're, you're up against so much with society. And oftentimes these, these impressions that we get from society about us not being good enough, they run so deep and it isn't, entirely possible to just tackle it on your own like I think that there can be quick band-aids of maybe books to read or things like that but it's a deep journey into self-discovery and and going exactly back to what we started this conversation with at the place of like how do we love ourselves Mm -hmm. and what does it mean to also love our bodies when they're not perfect yeah and to feel like we still deserve pleasure and that we still deserve to have the type of sex that we want even if our bodies are not perfect. Yeah. Oh, it's like, it feels like a lifelong challenge, you know? <laughs> yes, for sure. For sure. <laughs> for everyone too, you know, I think for a really long time, um, this was sort of like a women's, like a, like a, a lot of people talked about this as like a women's issue, right? Like body image is a women's issue. And I think it's also really important for women who date men to know that this is also an issue for men. It really impacts them too. Yeah, it really blows my mind how how much. It's funny, like I, every like boyfriend or like long-term sex friend I've ever had, like once I've gotten to know them better, I've realized just how insecure they are about their bodies. And it mm-hmm. really blew my mind. I was like, this is our thing, you know, like, <laughs> but it's, it's just not. I mean, it shouldn't be anyone's thing, but it was... Um, it's always been surprising to me as I've gotten close to men, like sexually. Yeah, it was so surprising for me. You know, I, I, I started to, when I started working in the, the field of sexuality, I actually specialized in male performance struggles. And it was such an, an eye opener to work with so many men over and over and over again. And to just see like, wow, it's okay. So it's not just me who like feels like my body is not, not adding up or or perfect enough or desirable enough. Like there is a ton of people, just people in general in our society that just feels like we're not sexy and not worthy. And it sucks. It really does. Yeah. And I would love, I know you do a lot of work around male performance issues and I'd love to dive in further. I'm trying to think because you know, we, we definitely have men who listen to this podcast, but the majority are women um, or identify as women. And I, I guess my question is, and it feels like the wrong question, but like, <laughs> how can we be better as women? I feel like we're often demanding that men be better, but how can we maybe understand this or, or men who date men? How can we as people um, do better when it comes to male performance issues? Actually, I love that question. I think it's a great question because it sort of implies that like, yeah, like women aren't always getting it right in the face of men's insecurities. And a lot of the men I work with have had these really horrible experiences on dates or with, with, with lovers where they're blamed or ashamed. And, you know, obviously I try and give them as many tools as I can to help them in those moments so they're communicating clearly and fully. But I think what's, what's, what's true that a lot of women don't know is that when a man struggles with performance issues, 99.9% of the time, it literally has nothing to do with you. Like, I, I cannot, like, emphasize that enough. It is not that you're not sexy. It is not that they don't want to be with you. I mean, it's not that you're touching them wrong. It's not that you don't know how to give a blowjob. It's none of that. It, it's just men have so much pressure, heterosexual men in a dynamic where a man is trying to have sex with a woman, there is so much pressure for him to get hard, stay hard and ejaculate on time. And it's a lot like the whole, in many experiences, men will say like, I feel like the whole thing is riding on me and I have to approach her and I have to do it just right. And I have to know, and I, 
and I have to figure all these things out and she's not telling me anything. And, and, and on top of that, I have to be big enough, but not too big, but no one really knows how big that is. And, you know, it, it can't, it, there's just no, there's so much that goes into the experience of what men feel under those conditions. And I think one of the things I would, I, I, is so important for women to know is like, it's not about you and you can ask questions for sure. Like you don't have to just sit there if his cock isn't getting hard or if he comes really quickly, you don't just have to pretend like it didn't happen. You can ask questions, but in a loving and curious way, like, oh, is this common for you? Oh, has this, has this ever happened before? Like, you know, um, I know this might be really embarrassing for you, but like, I'm totally happy to talk about it. Or like, do you want to do other things? Like, um, you want to go down on me? What would feel good for you? Um, you know, being actually coming from a place of more curiosity to kind of understand what's happening with that person versus that what most women do. And I'm guilty of this too, because I've, I was dating this guy for a while after I, I mean, I've been working with people, gosh, specializing in this for like six or seven years and I was seeing a guy and we eventually started sleeping together and he wasn't orgasming it's called delayed ejaculation and I instantly went to that like it's about me he can't come because it's me I'm not good enough I'm not sexy enough he doesn't like me and it's like that's it's like they had nothing to do with me right but it's so easy to go to that place and then depending on who we are we can lash out and blame and attack and do all sorts of things that are really unhealthy and really hurt that other person. Um, so that's sort of my advice is like, take the pressure off of yourself and, and be curious and ask questions and, um, and really listen, try and really listen to, because a lot of men feel so insecure about this that they don't like to talk about it. Yeah. Um, they, they feel put on the spot. So you may ask and they actually may, it may take them a few times to respond. Hmm. Like it may happen a couple more times and you just kind of leave the door open and just say, you know, if you want to talk about it, like if you still like them, like genuinely, like you could, you know, let them know and say like, we can talk about it. And I'm, you know, no pressure, just whenever you want to. Cause most men that show up in my office have actually never spoken about it at all to to any partners. It's like, it happens. And if it happens a couple of times, they just disappear. Like they'll, they'll actually ghost because they're like, shoot, like I totally ruined that. Or I don't really know where to go from here. I don't know how to talk about it. I don't know what's wrong with me. That's oftentimes the, the big piece. So. Mm. And do you feel like there's a point at which I mean, obviously, it, or, or as you said, it, it, there's a good chance it's going to take a couple of times to try to break through. Mm-hmm. I feel like I know a lot of men. Th- I'm not trying to, for any current, former, or one-time partners, if you are listening, I'm not talking about you. This has not happened to me, and I don't want to, like, <laughs> I don't think any of them listen, truly. But I feel like something I've heard from friends is just, like, it's like talking to a wall sometimes, like no matter how many times you try to break through or whatever. Yeah. Do you do you have ideas for getting through that past just like past just like trying a bunch of times? Like if you can't break through, do you think there's ever a point at which you have to call it on someone? Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. If someone's not ready, if they're if they, it's important to remember that you have needs in this. And that just because someone's experiencing sexual performance struggles, it's not your responsibility to take care of them or to fix it for them. I do believe, you know, you have a responsibility not to shame them or make them feel bad, but you're not responsible for fixing it. And so if you're genuinely there saying, hey, what's going on? Like, like is, you know, what's up? And they refuse to communicate. Yeah, I mean depending on what else is going on in the relationship and what sex is, what's happening in, in sex. Like, yeah, that it's probably not a, a super great sign that they're going to be able to communicate about more difficult things too. And so that person may need to, uh, the particular person who's not able to communicate may need to, you know, do some, do some therapy or some soul searching and, and learn, learn how to communicate because that's going to be, a, that's a really tough one. 
but yeah, it does happen. People just aren't ready or they're, or they're, you know, trapped by their fear. Yeah. It's funny. I like, you know, always thinking of myself as a woman, I was thinking about what kind of performance issue as a woman there are, you know, we've had people on to talk about, you know, painful sex and all there, there are plenty quote unquote performance challenges um, that women face. But I was thinking of something more common or something that men might, you know, comment on in the moment in a not so nice way. And I'm sure there are plenty that I'm just not thinking of, but I was thinking around like orgasms, like women. For me, much harder to orgasm than for most of the men I've ever dated. And how different someone kind of saying that or like, like, but you didn't come in one way versus when they actually ask, how could you have come? You know, I'm thinking about the, the little communication patterns when it comes to all parts of sex that can totally change the game. Um, any advice on that for women when we're thinking about whether it's orgasms or other challenges in terms of like reaching full pleasure when we're having sex again, very heteronormative here, but kind of the flip side. Yeah. Um, well, I think what you're sort of, uh, you're speaking to is like the, the context in what's in how someone is communicating. So you're sort of naming like, yeah, if someone doesn't make it about themselves, mm. like if they make it about you, and have a curiosity about your body and your pleasure and what you already know or what you don't already know. That's sort of what I hear. Like you're saying, yeah. you really respond to it. And I agree. Oh my gosh. It drives me crazy. Um, luckily my husband, he doesn't do this because like, I would just, it just wouldn't work for us. And I would correct him if he did, but it's like, yeah, that it's, it's such an interesting thing. It's like, did you come or, you know, it's like, whoa, like that's a very, intense question. And I think it's really alarming. And for, and I'm also have struggled with delayed orgasm myself. So it's like that question can put me on the defense of like, something's wrong with me and my body doesn't function like everyone else's body and all of those pieces. So I agree with you, like learning how to ask. And I think one of the things we can do as women is, is help teach men. I, I do this all the time. And I used to do it with my lovers of like, Hey, it doesn't feel good when you ask like that. Like, I'm wondering like what's behind it, mm-hmm. you know, like it would feel better for me if you asked like this. And if it continues to still happen in that kind of selfish way where they're not actually having a curiosity, then I, I mean, I would sort of lean into it and be like, wow, it just seems like you're making this about you. Like, you know, and it may be an incompatibility. It may be that, that, that person isn't compatible if they're not able to take the feedback, but um is that sort of what you're asking yeah, about yeah. or am Just, I? That's okay. exactly it. Um, and I think hearing you articulate it made it clear for me what I was trying to connect dots between because it does sometimes feel like your own performance problem. Like, oh, like I just want to be like, women don't come every single time. Like I don't, something taught yeah. you that the same way we've been taught many things about men getting hard, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it's. Yeah. The pressure, that's that orgasm trap that I, I talk a lot about with yeah. clients is like, how do we get out of the goddamn orgasm trap? It's like, we're all stuck in it. Like sex is all about orgasm. It's like, we miss so much, so much opportunity for pleasure when our sole focus is in this obsession with orgasm. <laughs> so, yeah. Keely, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit, and I'm sorry, this is a little bit of a pivot about kind of recognizing, um, patterns in relationships and figuring out what is um, toxic or like over a line versus what is like something challenging that you want to work through together? Oh, that is a very good question. Um, So there is a really fantastic book called The Betrayal Bond by Patrick Carnes, I think is his name. And for anybody that's sort of assessing about uh, trauma or, or sort of like, is this an abusive relationship? Is this a healthy relationship? I, I really recommend checking that out. Um, it really helps to sort of delineate like what is what is actually abusive and you need to leave and what is something that is, is something that can be worked out. And assuming that we're in the category of like, it's not necessarily abusive, like you you don't necessarily have to leave, but um, 
there's this question of like, can we, I think of it as like, everyone has work to do in relationships. Everyone has woundings and pains and areas where they shut down and close off and defend. And those are often the places where couples fight. They have these impasses and they get tough. And, and um, the question sort of becomes is like, is this a product of just these two people are not compatible? Either they're hitting the same triggers at the same point, um, they just genuinely don't want the same thing, or is it this piece of like, wow, this is your work, and no matter what relationship you're in, you're gonna have to do this work. Like, it doesn't matter who you're doing a relationship with, like, you are gonna face this issue, this piece, this defense mechanism that you've created inside of yourself until you deal with it. And that's a, it's a, it's a really difficult question to figure out. And I spent a lot of years personally myself trying to figure that out. Like, should I stay? Is it me? Should I go? Is it them? Like what, you know, what, what, what is that? And there's not necessarily an easy answer. I think it's, you know, it requires a lot of self-reflection and continued look at yourself in a very compassionate and honest and loving way, but, you know, trying to see clearly, like, you know, what exactly is, what exactly is happening here? What's my role in it? And um, is this something I feel like I can work through in this relationship? Do I want to work through it? Um, Does this person feel like they're someone that I, I love enough or I care enough about that I want to work through it? Yeah, it's so challenging. Um, I I think too, this question kind of comes up because there is such a focus now. I'm like on doing the work and in wellness and not to like call out wellness specifically, but like people wanting to do the work. And again, assuming we're out of outside of like abusive territory, just actually like I, I think seeing a therapist is the only thing that's really gotten me to be able to understand where that line is, quite frankly. Um, and I'm sure you would agree as a therapist, but Liza and I, we, we, we love to say, you know, we're sponsored by therapy broadly, not just better help. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, like literally we are sponsored by therapy, but also like, <laughs> we like feel that. <laughs> like, yeah. We couldn't talk on the internet this much without therapy. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard, right? Because we, we really can't, see, uh, one of the phrases I love is you can't see the spinach caught in your own teeth. Like we, we cannot see what we're stuck mm-hmm. in. Our, our lens is so narrowed and therapy, you know, really is this, this shining of a light that helps us see things, you know, that, that we see things that we didn't see before mm-hmm. and it, without, you know, breaking ourselves over the coals or taking ourselves down with it. Cause that's just another defense mechanism to self self blame. So yeah, there are, there, I mean, there are other ways, you know, I, I definitely know people have friends who are able to do this deep contemplative work without therapy. Um, I think they're far and few between. I personally haven't been able to do it alone. I have done lots of therapy. <laughs> I love therapy. I think it's great. I think couples therapy is great. Um, and, you know, it's not, it's, it's not for everyone. And um, my, my push for therapy is like, find a therapist that you feel like you can trust and you feel like you admire and somebody who you really genuinely feel like you want to learn from. And I think too often people stay with, with therapists that aren't a good fit for them. Mm. And then they feel like, oh, it it didn't work for me or it doesn't work for me. Or, you know, sometimes therapists, you know, can be the best enablers too. Like they aren't actually pointing you towards the hard stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And then I just want to wrap up. I mean, we obviously could talk forever. I have like (laughs) 40,000 questions I want to ask you, but I do want to get to one listener question. Um, And that is, I'm just going to go ahead and read it verbatim. Tip, any tips for how to progress with someone you met online and who lives in a different state, both sex and relationship wise? Hmm. Live in a different state. Yeah. So it's like this long distance thing. Well, I actually think long distance doesn't have to be, I think sometimes it gets a bad rap of like, you're never going to see them. And are they real? And there was the whole, what was the MTV show? Uh, cat, uh, uh, cat catfish. Fish. Yeah. What was that? Oh, catfish. 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 Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, are people real? Um, but I actually think getting to know someone 
in that format can be a really wonderful way of deepening and deepening and deepening. Um, in just a, it's a really unique experience. So uh, my husband, actually, we met when he was living in France and I was living, living in San Francisco. And so much, you know, much of our first year, year and a half together was, was a long distance relationship. And so I felt like we actually had this very unique experience of getting to know each other versus what I had done in the past, which is right, date someone in the same state. So um, I guess relationship wise, the first thing that sort of comes to my mind is, um, I guess it depends sort of like, <laughs> this is where my brain like would ask that person more questions about what they mean, because I'm like, well, what does that mean? You know, what does relationship mean to you? What do you feel like is missing? Um, I guess it would be encouragement to continue to be vulnerable on the phone, to continue to make you know, make things fun and date-like. So scheduling dates, get, you know, getting ready for the dates, really planning just like you might do in person. So you're really taking the time to sort of set up a container to be in that relationship and in that space with that person. And then as far as, you know, sex and intimacy goes, I mean, the, the wonders of the internet are fantastic. I mean, you can be having video, phone sex, texting, of course, is great at any moment. Um, you would for, you know, phone video sex and things, you'd want more privacy, but those are also really, really great ways to keep exploring and learning about each other sexually. And the great thing too, is like, when you have that much space, um, you guys can read books together and come back together and talk about them. So that's sort of like where I would imagine would be a really great place to sort of explore is like, um, you know, finding things to read together about relationships or about sexuality and like bringing those into the relationship. So yeah, reading keeps coming up and like, we've gotten questions about people not liking porn. And like, unfortunately, Liza and I both watched the Bachelor franchise and there was some erotica reading on this week's episode. So it's just like, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm curious about it. And that's why I'm calling it out. But like, yeah. I think it's great. Well, Reddit is, if, if someone's interested in like erotica reading or erotica stories, Reddit has amazing um, stories on it. Like there's a couple subreddits that just have like great, wonderful stories that people write in that often my clients tell me all the time. They're just like, these are the best ever. So that's a great place to find, to find sexy stories to read for sure. Oh, good tip. That's fun. I don't have plans this weekend. <laughs> it's COVID. Um, that's awesome. Well, Keely, we, don't, we want to be careful of your time. Thank you so much for talking to us. Um, can you tell everyone where to find you, where to check out some of the stuff you're up to? Yes. So, yeah, it was really wonderful to chat with you ladies as well. So fun. And I hope your listeners find this really interesting, too. Um, yeah. So the best place to find me is on my website, which is my first and last name, KeelyRankin.com. That's K-E-E-L-E-Y-R-A-N-K-I-N. And I am a little bit on Instagram. Not a ton. I, I try, I'm trying to make the energy to be more on social media, but I'm not, not super on there. But my Instagram handle is just the tips sex coach. Love it. Oh Incredible. <laughs> we'll link to all that as well. That's all in the show notes. And Keely, thank you so much. We loved having you. And You're very welcome. Come back soon. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.